0: We are continuing our journey through Romans chapter 12. We are finishing up Romans chapter 12 this morning. Uh, next Sunday we will be uh, doing uh, joining and supporting the Barn Church uh, at their worship service and worshiping with them and fellowshipping with them next Sunday. And then after that we will be jumping into Romans 13, Romans chapter 13 in two weeks. Um so I hope you've been tracking along. You've been able to, uh, hopefully, to a certain extent. And if you missed anything, you were, have been able to catch up um, or at least go through and read the Scriptures as we continue our journey through Romans. And uh, one of the things that I mentioned last week is um, the message that I had last week was actually should have been the same um, part of the passage of what we're doing this morning. Uh, it was all one message through prayer and just wrestling and struggling through certain things, I broke them up. And so um, just know that the message from last week and the message this morning are, are all one. They're all within the same context. They all flow together very nicely. I broke them up just for, for time's sake and just to be able to do justice to um, the writings and the teachings that we have here um, from Paul. And uh, through that, I just want to encourage you, if you did not hear the message last week, um, we're not able to, for some reason, it, it might jump in a little choppy at first. And I apologize for that. Um, but I'm just giving you the kind of context and the background behind that and why, but with all that being said, one of the things that we looked at last week, uh, as we began our time together was, uh, have you ever been wronged? Has anyone ever wronged you? Um, have you, uh, ever been, uh, I guess, betrayed something, uh, done against you? Um, you ever been persecuted for your faith? Uh, all these different things, have we ever had that happen to us? Um, hopefully you're able to process that in some way and understand what that means, what that looks like, and we looked at what is actually, to a certain extent, what is true persecution um, versus just uh, someone saying they don't like Christians or they don't like the Bible or you know, it's not persecution um, and understanding that there are things that happen that have nothing to do with our faith. It's just people being mean or evil or whatever it may be. And we're going to see some of that this morning. Uh, but the question I have for us today is, um, have, you ever, have you ever had uh, uh, the mindset of retaliation? Have you ever retaliated for something? to get someone back, to get even, right? Has that ever crossed your mind? Has that ever been something you've actually done before? Um, let, me, let me define that in a, here briefly because the word retaliate is actually a military term, and I want to give us some definition here and then uh, make our way through this. To retaliate is to make an attack or assault in return for a similar attack. It's to repay an injury or insult in kind, okay? This is retaliation. Um, Some may call it retribution. Some may call it vengeance. Some may call it getting even, getting back, an eye for an eye, whatever it may be. Something or someone has wronged you or harmed you in some way, and you feel the need to get even, get back, and so on and so forth. It's essentially, if we want to 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 break it down to something that we have probably all have experienced and all have witnessed, it's essentially two kids on the playground, and one pushes the other, and so the other one pushes the other one back, but generally it's harder with a little more force or intent, and then it becomes a almost seesaw back and forth, right, of pushing and, and hitting and different things, and it generally, what, escalates. Why? Because you want to get the last bit in, right? You want to keep getting them back for what, whatever has been done to you. You felt wronged or injured or um, insulted or humiliated or whatever it may be, and you want to retaliate. You want to get even. You want to get back at whoever has done this to you. Now to um to make that more relevant for us as, as adults, it's essentially, you know, a lot of times we see things on social media escalate very quickly because someone insulted us or didn't agree with us and we want to get back at them. Um, or even while driving, I gave some of my um, very, I guess, vulnerable and transparent testimony on um, just driving in general and my personal struggles. You know, if someone cuts me off, I feel the need to let them know I didn't appreciate that in my own form and manner. Um, And sometimes we feel we have to get back at people. Um, And it's something that, you know, uh, that I struggle with from time to time. And I've talked to you guys about that. Um, But even coming to the understanding of we need to make things right in our own eyes, right? Unfortunately, we see this more and more today, and to where um, we can be offended by just about anything, where we can be offended just about by just about anything. Interesting enough, I would say anywhere from five to eight years ago, um, some pastor friends of mine we would actually be joking about, you know, one day the truth. Right, just general truth, general facts are gonna be offensive to people. And now we are living in those times where general truth, general facts are offensive to people. Where you cannot have any absolute truth, absolute facts, anything factual if it doesn't meet a certain agenda, right? Or talking point, it's offensive. This is Uh, in a sense, what we have become to know as the cancel culture. We don't like it? Cancel it. We're offended by it? Cancel it. Doesn't agree with our agenda? Cancel it. Doesn't agree with my emotions? Cancel it. The idea of free speech, having any original thought, opinion, has become an element of canceling. That's the retaliation. There's always some form of consequence to a certain extent that we see in our current culture and society that is constant retaliation. But why is that? Why is that? One of the things that we need to understand as Christians is what what God's word says about these things. Now, over the, t- over the past year, couple years, three years, I would even say before that, I've been very critical at social justice movements, particular organizations and beliefs, and how Christians are jumping into these different groupings, different beliefs, by the droves and against God's Word. And we're going to see a lot of that this morning within an indirect context of what Paul continues to address here in Romans chapter 12. Before I go any further, let me pray, and we will get into our text this morning. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us. Bless us this time. May this message be of you and no one else. May your scriptures ring louder than anything else during our time. May the Holy Spirit continue to do a mighty work within us. Be with all the ladies as they are on the retreat, and they'll be traveling later today. And we pray for our church, that you continue to protect and watch over us and all of our families. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So up to this point, we've gone through all of Romans 12. Romans 12 is just so much doctrine So much stuff, so much just biblical truth, so heavy in Romans 12. We could essentially do half of a year just wrestling with Romans chapter 12. But we are coming to an end here today. Last week, we looked at verses 14 through 17. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. We begin to see God's desire for each and every one of us and how we are to live out our lives in an ungodly world. And in and through that, we should begin to understand that we need to honor God in and through all things. That just because we have an emotional uh, um, feeling, experience, movement, or someone that we, we really love or appreciate or trust does something doesn't make it right for us to do so we always have to come back to God's Word. We always have to come back to the Scriptures. We always have to come back and truly understand what does God's Word not only say, but what does this mean for us in our lives to live it out? live it out in a way that honors Him. Not honors ourselves. not honors the world, not honors an organization, not honors a movement, not honors a belief. As Scriptures tell us, those are all frivolous. Cupolas, the, the, the word that Paul uses, like all that I've done and all that in the world is just dung. It's nothing. It's garbage in comparison to what? The cross. And this is what Paul is getting at. In all these things, in all the garbage, in all the junk, in all of the noise, and this is very, very relevant for our time today, It's nothing. It's nothing in comparison to the cross. It's nothing in comparison to the cross. The thing is, we continue to have the mindset of we deserve, we expect, we should have. The thing is, when it really comes down to it at the foot of the cross, we deserve absolutely nothing. Then we begin to understand the true meaning of grace and the gospel message. So, in and through all this, we see such verses as verse 14 Bless those who persecute you, bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who weep, who rejoice, weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Continue to convict us daily. Not that we need to go and try to change the world for the world's sake, but we need to continue to what? Wrestle with the scriptures. Because as we wrestle with the scriptures and God sanctifies us through his word, we become more like him and our lives ultimately begin to affect those that we come in contact with and we live with day in and day out. Why is this so important? Because as we begin to dive into our uh, last uh, few verses here in Romans 12, we will see on the choices that we make and the lives that we live make, a huge impact ultimately for the cross. So let's get into our scripture this morning. Romans chapter 12, verse 18. I skipped verse 17 on purpose because I'm going to get to it here in just a moment. So don't worry about that. Verse 18, Romans chapter 12, if possible, so far as it depends on you live peaceably with all beloved, Never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing so, for by so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil, what? With good. So as we continue on, let us briefly look back at verse 17, so then we can see, because 18 is is strictly attached to verse 17, okay? So as you see, this is why I, I broke it up, but it's to keep it and pull us back in a sense to the first few verses we looked at last week, Ultimately conjoining together, right? This passage as a whole. Verse 17 repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Do do what is honorable in the sight of all. Okay. Now, we need to understand that yes, we should not repay anyone evil for evil. And we're going to look at that vengeance, that retaliation on what that means and what that doesn't mean. And I mentioned that last week that we will be addressing that quite extensively in verse 19 because there's a couple questions that I know we all have. And some of us formulate conclusions without actually looking into the Scriptures and understanding what the Scriptures say. Without going any further in verse 19, let's continue to look at verse 17 and verse 18. And understanding that we need to do what is honorable, what is right, what is righteous, okay, in the eyes of all. Now, this doesn't mean that just because my buddy says, hey, you need to go do this or you're wrong. Well, I need to do what's honorable in the eyes of all, so then I need to listen to my friend and just go do it because he says it's right, it's absolutely wrong. Why? Because what we should do first is what is right in the eyes of the Lord. We never compromise our faith. We need to learn to not repay evil for evil, right? This is why I, 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 I have a hard time trying to comprehend these social justice movements that burn down city after city that destroy things, that attack people, that beat them in the streets and leave them for dead. I, I can't understand why any Christian in their right mind would support such an organization. Cannot, I can't fathom it. I can't. And I've had many discussions, many, 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 and a lot of you know this. I've preached on this before over the past couple of years. It does not make sense. It doesn't. And not only does it not make sense, it's unbiblical. They are sinning in their actions. It's very simple. God does not ordain this, He does not teach this, He does not preach this, He does not command this. Repay no one evil for evil, do what is honorable. A lot of times we think, well, we need to go and 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 seek justice for those that have been wronged. Ah. Don't worry, we're going to continue to get into that. That's what this passage is about. How should Christians respond? How should Christians act? How should Christians live their lives amongst such times? It's nothing new under the sun. What's going on today, it's just a contextualization of what things that have been done in the past understanding what God's word means, what God's word says, and what that is, not only in our lives, but applied as we live our lives in the world. Let's get to verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Key words here, verse 17, honorable, right? Honorable, Verse 18, as so it depends on you. Wait a second. You have a choice in the matter? Yes, to a certain extent. I've preached to you many, many times before. There are convictions that the Lord gives you. How? Through the Holy Spirit. When? When you hear the preaching of God's word, when you're in God's word, when you're in prayer, when you're in the the presence of wise counsel, there's going to be conviction. And guess what? There's no one else on this earth that can live out the convictions that the Holy Spirit, that God gives you, but you, no one else can. You have to live out those convictions. They're convictions for a reason, but we must make sure those convictions are not pushed by by the uh, emotions from what we are pressed upon by the world, but those convictions are coming from a right place, from the Holy Spirit, in and through God's word, godly people in our lives, prayer, the work of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. A lot of times we misplace that understanding. A lot of times we fail to understand the work of the Holy Spirit within us. A lot of times we fail to understand the work of the Father in heaven. Verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Christians should not be looking for trouble. Should not be looking for persecution. It should be a general understanding that we have. Don't worry, I'm going to answer some of those hard questions here in a few moments. For some reason, if I don't, please reach out to me. I'd love to talk to you about these things or questions that you may have. We should be trying to be at peace. We should be trying to be, as Christians, peaceable. We should be reasonable people. But this is not always the case. And this is why we see this wording here in verse 18. Why is that? Well, last week, I mentioned it. We looked at it. I preached on some of it. People will attack you. People will attack you, especially when you authentically live out your faith. That's one of the questions I asked. Have you ever been attacked? Have you ever been pushed back against, insulted, rejected? And some Christians are like, well, no, because I get along with everybody. Then the scriptures tell us, then you're not living out your faith. some of the most lovely people, some of the most encouraging people, some of the most godly people I know have some strong enemies. Why? Because people reject God. They reject God. And we looked at that. Scripture tells us, like, look, they're going to hate you. They're going to reject you. But remember, they rejected me first. It's going to happen. The question that we should be asking is, wait a second, how come it's not happening in my life? Am I truly living out the faith? So as we looked at that last week, people will attack you because of your faith. God understands this. He understands this. So the idea of Christians need to be at peace with everyone all the time, regardless of circumstance or situation, it's a, a twist of biblical truth. God understands that people are going to reject us, that we are going to cause enemies. Why? Because of our faith in him. He knows this. So if at all possible, we see it right here, if at all possible, right, Without backing down from your faith, because the scriptures already also teaches what stand firm in our faith. Stand firm in the gospel. Do not be ashamed of the gospel. Right. It's already been happening. Talked about the cancel culture. They've already been attacking Jesus, trying to cancel Jesus. That's why we we can't say Merry Christmas anymore. Anyone says, happy holidays, and it's like, no, it's not a happy holiday, it's a Merry Christmas. They can't even say that in certain stores anymore. Why? Because it's offensive. Because it's offensive. And I say, good. Have that wrestling within you. We're not to be offensive because of our personality, our character, and who we are, right? And that's something even myself, I need to repent of, and I need to be aware of, and I need to work on in my own personal life. We're not called to be offensive because of uh, who we are as an individual. We're called to be offensive because it's countercultural because of our faith. And I gave that testimony, and I shared this story with uh, one of my best friends from high school how just my presence was offensive to him. Our lives, how we live them, not based on our worldly decision and actions, not how we dress or words we choose. That's not the offensive part. The offensive part should be how we live our lives because of our faith and salvation in Jesus Christ. And this is what this, passage is really about yes our actions when we we come and things hit us and these things happen and we have to deal with these things in these certain circumstances and situations absolutely but ultimately because of our faith why because we need to point them to jesus we must take into account verse 17 segwaying right into verse 18 we need to do what is honorable we need to try to live at peace if at all possible in that is as it is to you okay because god's going to give you convictions and you're like i can't i can't look away from this i can't stand this i can't and you have these convictions And we have righteous judgment. Not righteous judgment on someone's salvation or any of that. It's not what I'm talking about. Righteous judgment and then the situation. I need to rightly judge this situation. Thing is, a lot of times we break peace and it has nothing to do with our faith. We break peace and it has nothing to do with God working in us through the Holy Spirit for the conviction of being at peace. We must never compromise with sin or have a peace-at-any-price attitude. Some people have that understanding of Scripture. That's a false interpretation of Scripture. We need to live at peace with everybody at any price. doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. There's a lot of churches falling into this trap. Don't say this, you're gonna offend people. Don't say this, you're gonna offend people. Don't say this, you're gonna offend people. Don't say this, you're gonna lose, you're gonna lose numbers. You're gonna lose, don't do this, you're gonna lose. So worried about those things. You wanna talk about something that 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 gets me fired up? Is that that gets me fired up. It grieves me. We must never compromise when it comes to sin or to have a mentality that we must live at peace at any price. Ultimately, the goal is to point people to Jesus. Turn with me to Hebrews chapter twelve. Hebrews chapter twelve for verse fourteen. Strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the Lord. So it tells you right there, you need to strive for peace and holiness because without those things, there's some people that will never see Jesus. There's people out there that will never step foot in a church. That no one will come and bring the gospel to them directly. And all they're going to see is your actions as a Christian. And through those actions, you want them to see holiness. You want them to see Jesus. Remember I said that? Be the moon, reflect the sun. Verse 15. See to it that no one fails to obtain the grace of God. That no one root of bitterness springs up and causes trouble and by it many become defiled our lives our lives impact so many and some of us are great at it some of us are like we go out and our lives reflect jesus But what about when things don't go so according to plan or warm and fuzzy or easy or enjoyable? Verse 19. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. Now listen, I know some of you, When you see the word wrath, you think I'm saying wrath. I'm not. I know I haven't said that in a while, but I know some of you still think that way. Don't. Okay? The wrath of God. W-R-K. The wrath of God. All right? For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. This is difficult. This is hard. This is an area to where it's like someone has wronged you, wronged your family, and those that are young and don't have a family yet, wait till you have a family and and Lord willing, you have children and someone does something to one of your children. Man, I process that a lot as a father. Oh, man. And I've said that before. You want to really get I mess with one of my kids. Not in the fact of them misbehaving, they need to be talked to or disciplined or whatever. No, no, no. I'm talking about wrongly mess with one of my kids. Uh, that's that's a prayer that I have. It is. Lord, if if someone does something very evil or whatever to one of my kids, I, I don't know if I will respond in a godly way. Lord, help help change my heart. Man, as a father, this is is a hard one. If we really put it into perspective. We must resist the temptation to avenge wrongs that are done to us or others. We must allow the wrath of God to follow its own course. The Christian must not play God. See, when we do that, we play God. Did you realize that? I did it for many years. I didn't realize that I I was essentially playing God because I was making a judgment for vengeance, and I was like, oh, this is righteous wrath. Not a righteous wrath. Righteous wrath, okay, and vengeance, and and I needed to repay this evil, and God was going to use me as one of his instruments of wrath, okay? No pun intended. But understanding this, that that is not our job. Now, there'll be times that God moves us to do certain things, right? And that is part of his plan, but it's his plan, not ours. The Christian must not play God. Returning evil for evil or good for good is just a general way of how the world works and the world lives. This is not necessarily, this is not a biblical understanding, I know there's a verse that talks about an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, and we're going to get to that later, and I'm going to explain some of that and understanding the meaning behind that in the, um, from uh, the New Testament, from one of the Gospels. But Christians should not live this way. We live by faith, believing that God can work and accomplish His will in our lives and in the lives of those who hurt us. Who hurt us. We must give place to the wrath of God. We must give room, place, understanding, submission, patience for the wrath of God. Turn with me to Deuteronomy 32. Way left in your Bibles. Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 35. Vengeance is mine and recompense for the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. Verse 36 For the Lord will vindicate his people and have compassion on his servants when he sees that their power is gone and there is none remaining, bond or free. At the right time, God will have His way. God will have His way. We need to allow that time to happen. But the question, there's a few questions that arise from this. Okay, vengeance is the Lord is the Lord's right. He vindicates. he, He he has his vengeance right retaliation. We need to allow for that. We need to understand the difference okay, between defending ourselves, protecting ourselves, and vengeance, being revengeful. So what about the question of self-defense? Are Christians allowed to defend themselves? We might think ultimately, well, yeah, I, I should be able to defend myself. Oh, but there's this one passage that if, if someone slaps you in the face, you turn the other cheek and let them slap the other cheek that I, I I bet a lot of us have taken that out of context, that passage. Okay, and I'm gonna we're gonna look at that at the end of the message. But let's look at this here specifically on that question: Are Christians allowed to defend themselves? And the answer is yes, absolutely. We have several examples of believers showing self-defense in the scriptures. We have examples of defending oneself, um, and a lot of them. And the examples I'm going to give here, I'm just going to give you a list. We don't have time to go through all these. This isn't even exhaustive. This is just some brief ones that, I, that I've written down, okay? Here's some verbal defenses, Luke chapter 12, Acts chapter 22, Acts chapter 24, being able to defend yourself verbally when you're attacked, when you are um, criticized, uh, when you are being judged, by your, for your faith and different things. There are some examples. I'll say it again, Luke 12, Acts 22, acts 24 as just uh, just a few um, examples there on that defending yourself when being verbally attacked. But what about physical harm? Physical persecution? One thing we must understand is that not all harm towards Christians is persecution. A lot of times Christians believe that because I'm a Christian and someone robs me, that's persecution. That is not. That is a thief trying to do what a thief does. Okay? Someone breaking the law, right? You are a victim. They are a criminal. has nothing to do with your faith. Now, if they've chosen to do certain things to you and physical harm because of your faith, Then, yes, that would be a form of persecution. But we need to understand that not all harm is persecution. Not all acts against Christians are, is persecution. The Bible does not forbid us from fleeing from violent persecution. That's another thing that some Christians struggle with. Like, well, if I'm being persecuted, I need to sit here under this persecution and and receive it as a blessing. That's not always the case. We see uh, times when people um, in Scripture flee from physical persecution. Okay, uh, Luke chapter four, John chapter eight, John chapter 10, 2 Corinthians chapter eleven. I have the verse, the the exact verses written down. I'm not going to do all the homework for you. You guys can dive into the Scripture and look at some of those for yourselves. Okay. Now, first off. We need to understand this. It's our current law of our land, right? For we have peace officers or police officers or government agencies that are here to what? Protect us, right? With use of force, different things and so forth, okay? So these are laws of the land. These are right. These are okay. These, uh, if done, the, and, 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 and administered the right way. There's nothing wrong with this, but what is also part of the laws of our land is the right to defend yourself, to defend your family, right? Uh, there are some states the right to defend your property, so on and so forth. So we cannot believe in the laws of what the police or government agencies, law enforcement have in general but then not believe in the law to be able to defend yourself or your family, right? Because if someone comes in to come in and, and to uh, take the lives of my family, am I to sit there on the phone saying, hurry, please come quick. What, what, as a father, I need to be able to protect As a pastor, I need to be able to protect. As a husband, I need to be able to protect. We're going to get into some passages here. Well, not some references here for you on this as well. But we need to have an understanding that there are these laws that are in place, and they do have a biblical understanding. As Christians, we are called to value one another. We are to value God's creation. That is, human life as well we are to protect the weak and the vulnerable some references we can look at are first Timothy chapter 5 Isaiah chapter 1 Psalm 82 Proverbs 31 to protect in the Old and New Testament we see believers protecting and defending and even arming themselves and we can think for a moment in the Garden of Gethsemane. And remember, when they came to arrest Jesus, what was the initial reaction by one of the disciples? Some of you may know it's very common understanding and who the disciple was, but he pulled out a sword and cut off the ear of one of the guards. Right? There's a quick reaction. Leads us to believe that that's a normal protection, right? They're protecting Jesus, but Jesus said, no, this is the time for him to be arrested, right? Other times, Jesus fled. He was amongst the people that came to uh, take him to arrest him, but it, the scriptures tell us that his time had not yet come yet. So he eluded them, he snuck out, he disappeared from them, right? But some may say, oh no, that disciple shouldn't have done that. He shouldn't even have had a sword. Interesting. Interesting because in Luke 22, verse 36, Jesus tells those disciples with no sword to sell their cloak and to go buy one. Luke 22, verse 36. If you don't have a sword, sell your cloak. Go buy one. A lot of us think it's like, oh, the sword, the scriptures, they didn't have this then. Scriptures were still being written and things were still going. This is not what he is talking about. It's understanding that there is an element of defense, an element of understanding that they need to protect themselves, right? If at all possible, live at peace. Do what is honorable. But if you're being attacked, you have the right to defend yourselves. A lot of us should know this before we went into Romans What did we preach through? What did I preach through? Do we remember? Remember Israel, the rebuilding of the wall, rebuilding of the city? We remember now? In Nehemiah chapter 4, verses 16 through 18, they were commanded to take up arms. Why? Because as they rebuilt the wall, as they rebuilt Jerusalem, as they rebuilt the city, They were being attacked, and they needed to defend themselves. We see throughout Scripture God's call for Christians to be able to defend themselves. Now, I know we can get into a lot of details here, and I don't want to uh, take all of our time to get into uh, very um, splitting of hairs in the details of when it's okay to protect yourself, when it's not, and so on and so forth as it is to you, right? Live at peace, right? As it is to you. The convictions that you have according to the scriptures and the work of the Holy Spirit and how God is directing us and leading us. We can can continually see how God uses elements to not only teach Christians a lesson, to teach believers a lesson, to teach his chosen a lesson, and also what? Allow us to be able to protect and defend ourselves, but ultimately to be an example to those to point them to Jesus. Now, Jesus continues on, and he tells, uh, and and I said, we're not going to go to all these, but a lot of his parables um he has different narratives that communicate the right um and and a lot of this is communicated in a way of of having sober judgment right to have a sober judgment being of a right mind and understanding of non-biased judgment but also that is a, that is the same thing in the sober judgment in self defense the thing is, revenge, vengeance, etc. is very different from defending and protecting. We must understand and know the difference. We must know and understand the difference. The revenge and vengeance, in, uh, something has happened, it's taken place, then we choose to go and seek vengeance, retaliation, recompense for those actions. as opposed to, I'm going to defend, I'm going to protect my family. One of the things that pastors shouldn't know and understand that being a pastor is being a shepherd. And part of being a shepherd is to protect the flock. And in and out through Scripture, we can see how the shepherds protected the flock from what? Wolves that would come and grab them, snatch them up, and eat them. As a shepherd, we are called to protect, to defend. Yes, I want to live at peace. I'm not going to go out and kill all the wolves. I don't have to worry about the wolves anymore. I killed them all. It's not what God tells us. Protect. Live at peace. 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Starting in verse 5. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God, that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God. ...for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you, and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us, when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. In flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might. Ultimately, the vengeance is the Lord's. It's the Lord's. That's It's hard. It's hard for us to go through hard times. It's hard for us to go through persecution. It's hard for us to go through personal attack and things that have happened. One of the one of the things that constantly sticks out in my mind of what this looks like. There's um, and this is actually um, a local event that happened. I personally know um, the parties involved and the family involved and so on and so forth. And there was a, a family that um, had their own practice, uh, medical practice and they had um, other doctors working for their medical practice, and one of them started siphoning off patients. Now, when you go work for a medical company as a physician uh, or or a PA or whatever it may be, um, and you work for that company, um, you can't take away from that company. It's against the law. There's certain laws and things that exist, right? Um, And what was happening is this individual was beginning to build their own practice, and before building their own practice, they went and took all of these patients and then opened their own practice. Very legal. So then the family that owns the medical facility, godly family, I know them very well. They confronted the situation, it didn't go very well, so then they sued the individual, went to court, had a multi-million dollar lawsuit that they won very, very clearly, very quickly. And so now the doctor that took all these patients away to start their own practice had to pay millions of dollars to this other family. And after the case was over, they went to that individual and said, we forgive you. You do not have to pay the money. It blew me away. It was everything in their right to get, what, compensation for the wrong that was done to them. But within that, they wanted to display God's grace. So what was more impactful for the kingdom? The righteousness of them getting back what was rightfully theirs and was taken from them? Or the grace and mercy that they displayed to the individual that wronged them. And this is something that is a true story happened here locally. Blows me away. It's a convicting to me as a pastor. Man, could I have done that? This is, in essence, what Paul is trying to communicate to us to help us understand. Let's move on. Let's get to verse 20. Verse 20 and 21 are ultimately connected. I will break them up a little bit as we go through them. Um, But they help kind kind of bring this to an end, so to speak. Verse 20, to the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Now, So, you know, this is taken from Proverbs 25, verses 21 and 22. And a lot of us have a misunderstanding of what it means to heap burning coals on their head. I've even been taught that, hey, people you don't like, be nice to them because you're putting burning coals on their head. You're burning their head. You're going to cause them pain. I'm like, what? okay, yay, right? Seems kind of like vengeful, right? Retaliating. But wait a second. We just read not to do that. So what is the purpose or what is the meaning of this? Now, to clarify, to understanding of what this verse truly means, the heaping burning coals on their heads refers to an ancient Egyptian custom, okay, in which a person who wanted to show public remorse or public penitence they would have a pan of burning coals and carry it on their head. Okay. It wouldn't kill them. It wouldn't burn their head off. But they would do this to signify their wrongdoing. They would do it. They would show it as a form of remorse, public remorse. Okay. They would do this and represent the, 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 The the coals would represent the burning pain that they would be experiencing from within, showing that they are remorseful for the wrong that they have done. And this is ultimately to contribute to them recognizing publicly of their shame and guilt. Of their shame and guilt. This is the context behind the verse. This is essentially the old saying, kill them with kindness. Kill them with kindness. A lot of you know my wife, one of the nicest people in the world. Unless you're her husband and you upset her, she lets you know it. And I and I've always ask, like, why do I get your wrath? She's like, well, stop upsetting me. I'm like, okay, uh, my fault. Trying to be, you know, sa- self-sacrificial, you know, as I'm supposed to be, right? Jesus gave himself for the church. I'm to give myself for my bride, right? As imperfect as I try to do that. But we need to understand this, okay? What she lo- what? I shouldn't say loves, but what she does is the more belligerent a patient she deals with, the nicer she gets. She gets nicer. Just keeps getting nicer. And she has that kind of down. Now, I'm sure she has a threshold and all that, but kill them with kindness. In a sense, this is almost what that means here. It's like, look, you want to... You know what? They wrong you. Be nice to them. You ever had somebody that's like has been mean to you and then they need something from you? I'm like, ah, ha, ha, I got you now. I got you now. And now you need something from me. Or kind of like that. uh, What's that insurance commercial with the guy with the dollar bill on the pole? And the person's trying to get it. He's like, oh, you almost got it. You're almost got it. And we kind of dangle over Pete. He's like, oh, I'm in control now. I have the power. Right? God said, don't, don't do that. They come to you, ask for something they've been mean to you or whatever they've done, what it is, give them more than what they want. Go the extra mile. In a sense, This is what the scriptures are saying. Go the extra mile for your enemies. For someone who has maybe wronged you, someone who has maybe been against you, go the extra mile. Why? So you're heap burning coals on their head. Well, what is that? That's public shame and humiliation on them, on their own what? Admission. This is not to publicly humiliate them. This is not to publicly make them feel bad or feel this or feel that, but ultimately it's that, wow, this person that I've wronged, this person that I've been mean to, this person that I've rejected, they're being really nice to me, and they feel shame within their sin. And they feel shame. They feel guilt. Why? Point them to Jesus. To point them to Jesus. We need to understand that the idea behind this is not to bring shame and guilt publicly for them to where they, they, they are humiliated, but ultimately it, it, the shame and guilt that they feel internally caused by their own doing will lead them to repentance. And if not, that's okay. What else has it done? It has kept you from sinning. It's kept you from sinning. So I don't know how many times that I've had a wrong response to people who have uh, pushed back, rejected, or done things against me, and I'm like, "Ah, nope. And my attitude has been really bad and has not been godly. And I need to repent for that. That's a repentive matter that I need to do because in my heart, I've sinned. We need to remember to not sin in our anger. Do not compromise the faith at any point. Lead them, point them, show them Jesus. Go the extra mile. Turn me to Matthew 5:43. Don't worry, we're almost done. Matthew 5:43. Now, I know I, I used this, I think, last week as well. Don't worry, you'll be okay. Jesus is teaching here. You have heard it, that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you so that you may be sons of, of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise and the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. For if you love those who love you, what reward do you have? Do not even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet only your brothers, what more are you doing than others? Do not even the Gentiles do the same? You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. A lot of times it's not what we do when everything's comfortable and easy and simple and enjoyable, but it's what we do when it's not, when it's a contrast. In the time of persecution, people pushing back, people have wronged us, and that leads us to our last verse. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Again, we see here a continuation of verse 20, and I kind of mentioned it already briefly about that, so... We do these things so we don't sin. So as long as you're able to go the extra mile as seen as called to do in verse 20, we are to show love, grace, and mercy. We are to overcome the darkness with the light. And guess what? Sometimes darkness is so dark, our light won't penetrate it because the person's heart is so hard, their mind is so closed off. God has allowed them to, to push away and to go astray, according to Romans chapter one. And our light is, you know what? It is what it is. We need to be okay with that. But we are to overcome the darkness with light, the pure and holy light of Jesus. And this is a weapon we should use more frequently. This is the weapon that we should use more frequently, the light of Jesus. God is on the throne And though all is not right in this world, he is the one who will avenge the wicked and reward the righteous. I'm going to, it's not up here, but I just want to, I want to read to you really quick. uh, Just two verses out of John chapter one. John chapter one, verse four and five. In him was life. And the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Jesus is that light. So how do you respond? How do you act? How do you approach these things? I want to read Matthew 5. I'm going to close with this, Matthew 5, 38. Why? Because I know it's something that we all have come across, or if we haven't, you will at some point. And how do we wrestle with what we're learning or Paul is closing with here in chapter 12 and what Jesus teaches in Matthew 5? I'm going to give a little context there, and then, then I'll, I'll close this out. Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 You have heard it was said an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth but I say to you do not resist the one who is evil but if anyone slaps you on the right cheek turn the turn to him the other also and if anyone would sue you and take your tunic let him have your cloak as well and if anyone forces you to go one mile go with him two miles give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. And this is where that come go the extra mile comes from. And you have to understand this deals with more personal matters, personal retaliation. These aren't necessarily violent criminal offenses or acts of military aggression. This does not apply there, but it applies to our daily living and things that happen at a social level, and understanding that, look, we, we have the fleshly mentality of an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. You say something bad about me, I'm going to say something bad about you. You push me, I'm going to push you back. You stole from me, I'm going to steal from you and this constant back and forth. Now again, we're not to lay pray and just, oh, people come in and steal everything from me. They take it. I need to just give them everything and give them more. You know, here's all the money from my bank account. That's that's not what this is saying. It says as we live life, there will be cases and instances that when these things happen, there's an opportunity for us, if at all possible within us as the scripture says, do what's honorable to all, do what's right in the eyes of the Lord. And show grace and mercy. Show grace and mercy. Why? For the gospel. For the cross. This is what we need to do. This needs to be a burden on our hearts. This needs to be at the forefront of our filters As we live throughout our day. This is something that that I pray for, something that I long for. This is something that I that I know I need to repent of and I need to work on. For me personally, what about you? How do you how are you doing in these areas? How are you doing in these areas? Do we, do we need to truly be more like Jesus? Are we allowing the dark to seep into our lives? Or we, do we need to be the ones bringing light into the dark places? If at all possible, live at peace. Do what is honorable. Don't repay evil for evil. Allow the Lord to have the vengeance that he says is his. You need to love God in a way that our lives reflect that. In the way that our lives actually are doing much more work than our mouths, than our intellect. Let our actions speak. Let's pray. Lord God, thank you for all that you've given us in our time together this morning. I know as we go through passages such as these, sometimes they're a little hard to wrestle with. A little hard to have a healthy biblical balance for us to to wrestle and struggle with, Lord God. But that's, that's why we have them. So we do wrestle with them. So we do struggle with them. So we do go deeper and understand your true desire for each and every one of us. Lord, I pray that our lives would look more like you. And I know we say that a lot. I know we pray that a lot. But ultimately, it's what sums up our time together in this passage. So as our lives look more like Jesus... Our lives impact more for Jesus. Our lives impact the world. Our lives impact those that we may never even have a conversation with for your kingdom, for your glory, for your righteousness. Thank you for your love, your grace, and your mercy, and may we be a display of that. And We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.